not winning 90% of your new business because you have some sort of incredible value. I'm going to take a bit of a different angle. You know, I'm going to budget this big. I'm going to give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a Red Bull to a turtle, what do you expect? I think that's a dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to... Uh, hey, Rick. Cheers. 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 Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to a very special episode of the Digital Insurance Pint podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom Reed, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitch Insurance. Hello. Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance. Hola. And Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance. Ho, ho, ho. Happy holidays, everybody. Is that the Santa Claus impersonating Jeff? You're doing the naughty or nice list today, right? No. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Actually, so essentially, yeah, we're going to do 2022 in review. And I'm sure there's some naughty things, and I'm sure there's some nice things there. So um, as always, guys, let's get into it here. So one of the things I see in the news regularly is people, you know, going back to work. There's people have been remote for so long. Now there's hybrid work. There's government is asking people to go back at least two days a week. There's a lot of that in the news. If you work at uh, Twitter, apparently you've got to be at the office 24/7. Uh, maybe talk to me, guys, about how that's impacted your own businesses. What choices have you made, and how have your staff reacted to those choices? I like to call this one the dog that caught the car, is I, I feel like the People all around the world have wanted remote work forever, and and now they finally got a hold of it. But I I do worry about um, people's mental health, and this isn't necessarily just a reflection on on our team. But uh, so people backfilled, not having to commute and being around their computer all the time, and productivity generally went up as as most of the studies. Uh, but I'm not convinced that people gave credit for the positive things they had in their uh, workspace around like the jokes around the water cooler, seeing adults, putting on pants and like general interaction. I think I'd feel a lot better if I knew they all joined a dart league, started running, picked up some music, like something else to backfill the positive sides of what an office was. I know it wasn't all positive. Um, so I do, I do worry about the pendulum swing back. Back to work. Everybody, let's be, everybody has always been working, but, uh, being managed to go back into the office, back into the culture. And we were lucky where we are. We were in rural Ontario. We didn't all leave the office during COVID, uh, 85, 90% of their staff continued to come in. They like to come in. Uh, there's a thing called osmosis where you pick things up by just being around people and you can't replicate that with a software water cooler app, jumping on Slack, you know, sending a bunch of texts, all that kind of stuff. There's no way to replicate physically being in the space, 
doing stuff together, you know, overhearing people, uh, just walking around having collisions and, and chatting with people. So that's never going to go away. Is there a place for hybrid? 100%. There's a lot of people killing it on hybrid. And some people have to go hybrid because they've moved to Halifax and Adam's case, but they love the culture. They want to be connected. But, you know, I, I do to concern about mental health. Like you can, if people start turning their camera off in Zoom, or even if the camera is on, you can't tell how how somebody's feeling you can't see their body language as well and our, our whole business is built on relationships and face-to-face -face relationship is always going to blow away any kind of zoom phone text relationship so culturally it's good to have people back in the office as much as possible in my opinion okay so steve we'll let you uh see where you come down here so we got adam from what i can interpret sort of on one end where there's quite he's got a quite a bit of remote employees and has taken advantage of that by kind of expanding his footprint without actually having to have a footprint per se. And Jeff's kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Where where do you land in this? Sort of in between because I've got two different brands that have run that two, two different models forever. So cheap has always been 100% work from home, always. And it's always been a struggle to try to create a culture. It, it, it's just, it's a whole different try to figure out how to be friends digitally. And that's a struggle. Whereas at Bald, which is a traditional traditional shop, you know, we've, we've got people back in the office and it's so much easier. I mean, we had a Christmas party and we did all those sort of things. Whereas when you're 100% virtual, it is so tough to be a team, really. You know, when people can turn it on and off and it's tough. You know, I, um, I've had this conversation with a few people and it seems, my, in my opinion, remote work um, puts a lot more emphasis on good leadership, right? Like you, you, it's much more difficult to be a good leader when your staff is remote, when you can't walk around, touch people, get in their face, you know, when you have to manage by KPIs and manage by text and, and deliverables and so on, it, it puts a lot more stress on leadership, which in my opinion, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does it does highlight you know where you've got good leadership and where you haven't got good leadership leadership's important but if you if you don't have culture you don't have loyalty and loyalty goes both ways from the employer to the employee the employee to the employer yeah, our, our culture is driven by leadership too though right so i, th I think those things are, are pretty intertwined but how do you do that for uh, on a medium like this if you can if you work at home and let's say you're in claims and you can turn on your computer tomorrow and do the exact same job, but there's a different brand in the top right corner. I think I think we have a lot of problems brewing. So, like exactly to Tom's point of of it's it highlights weaknesses in weak or junior managers that aren't used to doing this, and you know even weak teams that were were piled together and hiding differently. Um, I think you have some mental health things like hiding in the weeds. You certainly have. It's not as easy to mentor people. You can't tuck a junior right next to a senior. That's going to have some knock-on effects. And, like, I think we're going to have some debt. Like, I, I, the thing that comes to mind, you think about code debt. You, like, you build a system and eventually you got to go back and tear it down and redo it. It's like we're, we're building up this culture debt maybe. I don't know what you want to call it of, like, there's going to be some chickens that come home to roost here. So let's switch gears here, guys. Uh, we obviously recently did a series on M&A, and there was a ton of M&A in 2022. What's your takeaway from, from all the M&A 
activity in 2022. Jeff, do you want to go first? No, just a quick stop. Brett Broadway spoke to our Perth and brokers uh, a couple weeks ago, and she said the number of uh, mergers and acquisition last year was 47 in Ontario alone. It was at 57 as of two weeks ago. I don't know how many have been done, but I'll probably surpass 65, maybe close to 70 by the end of the year. So if you look at that, the mergers and acquisitions have never been higher. And, you know, have they slowed? Or bigger, right? And uh, it's currently still a seller's market uh, at this point, and uh, it's too early to tell because a lot of these deals have been in the in, in the pipeline for six months, twelve months, eighteen months. Uh, it's it's too early to tell whether any multiples have gone down. But uh, there's still everybody's got a. There's tons of money as we learn from our merger acquisition. There's tons of money, both Canadian and international, uh, and both company money also. Uh, you know, there's lots of uh, lots of powder and uh, out there to make you make lots of uh, you know lots of ammunition. But it's just a matter of. Uh, you know, I don't see it slowing down at least in the next couple of years. Right now, uh, the biggest challenge is going to be these all these companies buying the size, figuring out how to work with it. Right, like they're getting big. You know, I think Jamie from Westland mentioned about building all the kindling wood beside there and not sure how to burn, how they're going to burn it. Right, I think that was one thing that stuck out to me. So it's it's going to be interesting going forward. Just a couple of thoughts for me. I think that we're not going to see it slow down, and I think that COVID actually caused a lot of smaller medium sized independent brokers to say you know what this is i'm out of here um the the stuff that went on during covid um companies moving to guidewire and introducing stuff like as jeff my friend jeff would say stuff was getting done to us and not with us an awful lot during the last couple years we were getting handed lists of to get off um there were a whole bunch of people that I think were like, eh, maybe eh, I'll stick it out for a little while. And then life got complicated for a bunch of different reasons. And then a multiple came up that they thought they could never get. And they went, yeah, I'm gone. This is, yeah, I'm, I, I don't have the gas in the tank for this anymore. And uh, that looks really good. Well, and the hill ahead was quite large. So, you know, like not only do I have the gas, but like I'm going to have to double down and reinvest quite a lot to grow over this. And like, did you did you guys see the new uh, Aviva CPC? Haven't had a chance to review it yet. Here's one soundbite. Uh, you have until 2023 to get to 4 million, 2024 to get to 5 million. And, and that's the cliff edge moving up each year. So, like, you guys shouldn't record this, and I don't want to admit to my wife, but, like, size matters, right? <laughs> like, th- this M&A is not going to slow down for some very real reasons of, like, you're about to start kissing really big checks goodbye unless you can cluster up in the storm or all of a sudden, for the first time in a decade, start putting on double-digit plus growth. Well, and the other thing, too, is let's be honest, the last two or three years, every change to the CPC agreement generally has not been to help us make more money. It's to claw it back. It's been gradually going down. Uh, you know, yes, yeah, people had great results during COVID, but that's because the frequency went down. My, my confirmation bias, like I, I'd agree that I haven't mapped them all out, but I feel like all the changes have been to incentivize growth and size. If you're not growing and getting over a critical size, that's the meter stick that seems to keep moving. Um, 
and it might be my confirmation bias. But doing that profitably too, but, but also being profitable. Yeah, yeah. So. You need to hit profit. You need to be a certain size and you need to be growing. And if you're not those, you are no longer qualifying for much. But that's the that's the same fire burning behind everybody, I think, that will that will keep MA going. Because the alternative, like there is no alternative. You're about to start having a diminishing asset that's gonna shrink in both size and revenue. So here here here's the alternative question for everybody who's creating CPC agreements that agree with billion dollar brokers. Is it is it good to have partners that are bigger than you? Well, there's there's some fun of those talks of just like those talks aren't so friendly anymore. No. Some of them are partners and some are not partners. They're dictatorial, Adam. As someone who's been on the receiving end of some of those conversations with large brokers, I can tell you it is a very interesting scenario when the balance of power has shifted quite dramatically. When a broker makes up, you know, 10% of your company's revenue. Um, that's a that's a really interesting, really interesting set of conversations. Now there's a huge value to it, you know, when when it truly is a partnership, but it's 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 a different style of conversation, one that carriers have never up until recently have never been exposed to. But now but now it's gonna happen more frequently. Like we did the math and you know, five, five of the people in the MA are gonna be five or seven brokerages are gonna control fifty percent of the volume in five years. Like what's that gonna do to the Canadian market? Let's let's talk about guidewire. Right, a few years back, you had Guidewire, you had Duck Creek, you had a couple other uh, policy management systems. I can't remember the names of anymore. It seems like from the work I've been doing with IBAC, like almost every carrier is on Guidewire, you know, working on Guidewire, has just selected Guidewire, uh, which is really intriguing. Great for Guidewire. Uh, let me, so let me, Steve, let me go to you. So, what does this do? Do you think to the broker channel now that it's you know in a couple of years? quite a significant percentage of the market will be on Guidewire. Not the same Guidewire, obviously, but... You know, Tom, in my experience and seeing Guidewire imp- implementations for a bunch of different companies, I, I'm not really sure that Guidewire knows that broker distribution exists. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're actually, uh, you know, an afterthought that's a bolt-on. I mean, Guidewire is like TD's Guidewire. It's, it, you know, it's built for directs. It's built for, and, and this is, this is a company that is their customer is an insurance company and their job is to make things more efficient. And it, it, if that comes down to getting other people, AKA distribution to, to put things into their system for them, then that's all good. Um, I have not seen life improve marginally since uh, insurers have quote unquote got off their legacy systems and gone to new ones. Like life is not better for us now. Well, and I'll tell you that's, that's because the connectivity isn't there, right? So they have improved their end of the equation, but the connection to your end of the equation has not happened. I, I I do believe that by, by having many, many carriers on a similar 21st century application, the opportunity is there, right? The opportunity is not as there. The, the opportunity the is there, system. Tom, but let's look at, let's count the number of portals 10 years ago, then Guidewire comes around, and let's count the number of portals today. We have little mutuals that are just so giddy about their new portals, <laughs> right? Like, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I will say yeah. in defense of little mutuals, Commonwealth, bless them, 
went to market with a no portal solution, all connectivity. And their broker feedback was, give me a damn portal. And so they actually had to spend more money. Yeah, because they asked the frontline people if they wanted a faster horse. What if, what if you could do it in the BMS yeah. only? Oh, well, shit. <laughs> That'd be great. But nobody can do really anything on policy change where that's where we lose a ton of money and that's where we need so, the service, right? Hey, loyal listeners. When you hear me say CAS certified, that means that we use them in our agency. Are you a local insurance agent looking to take your business to the next level? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS aka nationwide brokerage solutions but like in today's world we use these initials like it's cool because it is it's hip at nationwide brokerage solutions they offer the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing market that's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers no matter how unique they may be with a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and the guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com. Cash certified. Okay, so let, let me let me let me challenge that. So if you can do beautiful new business, all singing, all dancing in your BMS, but you can't do policy change. Why don't brokers pick up the new business? Why do they reject the whole thing? Because we can't do policy change with anybody. <laughs> we have these portals for every single company we have yeah, right but, now. But but brokers aren't adopting the new business, right? Where, where, like Wawanisa has it, Commonwealth has it. We're adopting it. the new business. Like the brokers are using the straight through processing when available right now. In general, I'm not, I'm not talking about you specifically, Jeff. I mean, I'm preaching the choir on this podcast here, obviously. But brokers in general, like when you look at the, the broker adoption stats that the carriers have, they're pathetic. They're not good. And, you know, CSSI did a survey amongst their broker ownership, not the frontline staff, the broker ownership. And basically it said, hey, you can't take away my, my portal until you've replaced 100% of the functionality, which is to me self-defeating because you'd never do a thing 100% for all at once. This doesn't happen. Just to, flip, just to flip it back to you, Tom, uh, I guess a couple questions I have for you. How did you make it this year with IBAC, with companies connecting? There's a list of 10 things we're pushing them to do. How do the companies do on that list? I want to find that out. And uh, as for the portals and the companies using it, you know, like we're forced to use portals right now. Like there's no other choice, right? And uh, we've never seen any stats and no company's ever shared it with a broker, to my knowledge, of the adoption rate of their new business. Most companies are making you do new business or they're canceling your contract is my understanding like if you're not if you're going to mail in an application right now it's unacceptable for most of the companies and if they're not if they're not enforcing that then why am i doing it and somebody else isn't they're getting an advantage over me because i'm putting the labor into it right i'm not aware of any companies that are taking paper apps right now that have a straight through process report we have, we have many in our quoting system asking for paper apps but i would argue outside of interesting underwriting choices um being if a car- if 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 I was a carrier and somebody came to me with a paper app, I'd say no, I'm not doing that. It's twenty. It's almost twenty twenty three. Why are you sending me paper? Like literally, what am I going to do with this? So, but to come back to, to come back to your question, there are quite a few carriers who have built uh, built either have built or are building 
API connections, but they're struggling to either get the connection built with the vendor. And again, there are a number of really interesting enhancements been made there, but that broker uptake is is not where it needs to be because you know when you when you go back to talk about the business case you put into that you know that API from a carrier's perspective and you're not getting the uptake, it's they're not going to get to do a second one because the, you know essentially the first one failed. They put a couple mil into it, brokers didn't didn't do the uptake. Why would you keep going? So there's you know I think I think there's 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 tons of opportunity and from an IBAC perspective I'm still you know really quite bullish on this. There's a number of things that are you know we see coming, uh, but there still has to be a lot of work done by the on the vendor side, a lot of pushing done on the broker side. It's 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 Christmas time, and this is this is what Steve wants for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> instead of instead of instead of the app. You know, we have to go put it in, push it in, uh, merge it in, upload it in somebody else's stuff. Would it be awesome if brokers could just say, you know what? The new business is in my BMS. Go get it. Fetch it. It's there. It's yours. We did it. Now, that is that is a really interesting uh, thought process. That would definitely put the shoe on the other foot. I, I wrote it. I wrote it with you. It's sitting right there. Go get it. Oh, no, 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 we don't do it that way. Um, you actually have to take that business that you wrote with us and put it into our system. It, it fundamentally should be the other way around. I wrote this with you. So a uh, simple question might have a complicated answer for you guys. And I think it's Steve's turn to go first. Is the hard market over, Steve? No. No. Yeah. Yes. I, I say no. Okay. No. Yes. Jeff? Depends. How do you define a hard market? Uh, limited underwriting capacity and rapidly increasing prices. Well, as I said, like, I think we have to flip on. I was thinking the hard market was kind of coming to an end, but you see companies trying to figure out how to tackle inflation right now and all the creative wizardry and, and, and math they're using to do that to get right next year. Like, I've got one company that they're trying to jack everything at 15 to 25% to make up for the, the evaluators not being correct. And I'm not sure whose decision it is to say the evaluators are that far off, but. You know, so if that happens and then the rates start driving up, you know, people are going to have capacity, but can they afford it? Particularly in commercial lines, you know, re reinsurance negotiations are not going well, not at all. And uh, that's going to trickle down to everybody. I mean, I've been to, I don't know, five or six different meetings with insurers and they basically all have the same 2023 to 2020, 2040 template and that's like we want to grow we want to grow profitably we want to care about our customers and we also care about the environment it was almost identical for, for all of them so they, they want to grow grow profitably by the way uh we have to stick through a bunch of reinsurance is going to cost us a boatload this year so i actually am a little bit concerned about the smaller players and their capacity because it's a you know capacity on the reinsurance side from what i understand is is shrinking a little bit and these guys haven't made money in years and they're going to need to make money and that's going to fall down on everybody and these fucking cats these cats are not stop stopping they're not no. i want i want one company every year for 10 years in a row to completely blow up with 10% rate increases 
and they can go in a cycle like that. If they could coordinate it, it'd be really nice. Okay. With that note, let's um, talk about facility. We obviously did a facility episode earlier in the year, Sound of the Alarm on Facility. Uh, that got some reaction, got what we anticipated being uh, some positive outcomes. Uh, Steve, I think you spearheaded most of that. Maybe uh, have you, maybe go to you, have you seen any actual improvements with facility? Well, there, I mean, when we say facility, let's say the, the only servicing carrier left is Nordic, right? So I've been in pretty close contact with them and they're, they're catching up slowly. Um, they're introducing a, I believe it's in February, uh, a process where they're not going to send you the courier anymore. Uh, you can get an electronic document, but it's not, they're not sending it to you. You got to go in every day and fetch it from somewhere, which absolutely isn't ideal. It saves them the courier. It doesn't save us jack other than perhaps the manually scanning. Um, no, I mean, we, yeah, it's, it's still a bag of hammers for the most part. And it's baby, baby steps that, that should have probably happened in, in 1994. Really? These sort of things. Like there's, I've said it on the show before. I, I freaking hate portals, but I would give my eye teeth for one with FA. They made a bunch of bold predictions. Like, so what's going on? Like, I, without pulling my notes out, are they on target to execute any of them? Let me ask this question, Jeff. Uh, I'm not sure who's on the facility association board right now, but I know that there are direct writers there. What do they care? Brokers, brokers distribute it all. There are deflection tactics by every direct. What do they care if it's efficient for the broker channel? Broker, the broker channel writes. 99.9% of FA. There's no incentive for that, for for FA to, to do anything for, for us. Well, that brings up an issue with, in, in Ontario, they're supposed to be offering it with a take-all-comers market, but I'm not sure the enforcement level of it, let's put it that way for the directs, because they should be writing a lot more facility. So inflation, I forget exactly when it sort of kicked into high gear, but it was summer sometime. Do you think in for 2022, has that had positive, negative, or neutral impact on your operation? And let's start with Jeff. Well, I, I think obviously the, the answer, it's had a negative impact on the entire industry. I don't think you can't say it hasn't. Uh, from a standpoint of most policies are written at a premium and a limit, and that limit's changed throughout the year and to the point where a lot of companies feel that the calculators aren't accurate, so they're not getting the proper premium to pay the losses. And with the cat losses, with you know the, the RECO going through Ontario, the hurricane in eastern Canada, the different things that have happened throughout the year, and I think the cat losses have been pretty bad again this year that the premiums they're just seeing a big gap between the two right now so you know your chart you know your your loss ratio is going to be 10 or 20 percent higher if you're not getting the proper premium at this point so that's in my opinion it's had a negative effect yes premiums are going up for inflation and people are seeing some of the renewals go up but they're not going up to the right level and if the company's not getting the proper premium and uh, they get into reinsurance claims that's going to drive reinsurance so you've got reinsurance rate increases potentially going through obviously this year and you got inflationary so what's that going to do to the consumer 
good question. All right, Adam, let's uh, maybe I'll, I'll get you to talk about it from the pure from the pure brokerage perspective. Forget the rest of the industry. Jeff's covered that off from a pure brokerage channel impact. I think the biggest one is is it it ran into the tailwind that was already uh, the talent wars, and so you had. Uh, wage increases and inflation in that and people sort of jumping back and forth even more between job switching. Um, I don't know if it affected a lot of our raw goods and costs. I mean, the, the, the lease is pretty fixed and our next biggest expense is people. Um, but yeah, we had, we had, we heard sort of around the board sort of mid-year true ups and, um, bonuses and things that were uh, generally as a brokerage you had to sort of take that on the chin because like rates have not increased yet we we know they may and then then revenue could come with it uh but you're going to have retention issues and things with that so you had to front out uh wage increases before the revenue came well, interesting enough, I think that's one of the biggest things that the Bank of Canada's worry about is that wage price spiral where people see the cost of groceries going up 11% year on year. Yet there's, you know, normally speaking, their paycheck would have gone up 3 or 4% or whatever. And they're coming to you and saying, hey, I need more money because the other guy down the street's offering me more money, right? That kind of spiral ends up being, you know, essentially bad for everybody. Um, Steve, do you want to add on top of that? Yeah, um, exactly what Adam was saying. Like the things that sort of, scare me or worry me or keep me up at night. Like I go to the grocery store and I see the increases too. And I worry about people that we pay, you know, like this has gone up X and how, how are they going to afford it? So, so, I mean, these are all people in your team that you care about and their mouths you have to feed as a business owner and you want to make sure that they're fed. So those are the things you think about. But that at the same time, you've got bullshit inefficiencies coming down from insurance companies that are actually costing you more money and eroding your margin, which, which affects your ability to pay. Like we want to pay everybody that we have more, all of us here. We want to pay everybody more. We, we do. And we have to be more efficient to do it. And we need our insurance suppliers to get alongside to remove steps so that we can actually, you know, re reduce costs instead of add costs so that we can pay these people more because they goddamn well deserve it. Yeah. I, I think it's a good point, Steve and, and Adam. Uh, I think also, look, you bring that point about efficiency. Uh, we are, you know, what did our BMS vendors do? We're looking at eight, nine percent increase. They quickly got their pound of flesh, and you know, our technology is quickly becoming, you know, three, four, five percent, even six percent of our expense ratio. It's climbing drastically, right? And we're not getting the improved efficiencies for that increase in cost. We're not, we're not handling any more policies per client. We're not getting rid of friction. It hasn't improved in proportion to what we're paying, right? Which is an issue on top of that. Is your business in better or worse shape as at the end of 22 versus the beginning of 2022? And super quickly, why? I would say, I, I, unfortunately, I want to be better every year, but I would say we're probably more neutral. 
And I would say why I, I would say all the friction from our insurance companies, uh, you know, struggles with claims, having to do extra work, you know, just not getting the efficiencies and not being able to improve efficiencies with our, with our technology because of connectivity. I would say that's held us back from getting to where we need to go. I'd say probably the same as Jeff, uh, neutral to marginally better over the last year compared to the year before. And mostly for the same reason, so, some buckets are way better. We're getting some more growth. We're getting some traction on we're, we're doing, but the back shop is, is, is not approved. In fact, that's got more complicated and there's a bit more friction there. Adam, last word. I'm going to go with better. Um, and I, I share a quote that just came yesterday from a friend that's been watching our brand. And the, the quote is, it's insane how far you've come with this stuff from when you first took it over. And I think we can get stuck inside it really struggling. And, and when you step back and look at it, um, we replatformed a lot. We rebranded, uh, reorganized, went through a lot of different struggles and things. But I think now at a better place, um, the one caveat I'll put on is I'm a little afraid of not knowing what I don't know. Back to that staffing and where the world's going to swing. Of feels a little precarious. That's that, is, and that is a good way to end the 2022 2022 interview. It's it's all a little precarious. I think that's when everybody would uh, would agree with that statement. Shout out to our sponsor, uh, IFS Premium Finance. Uh, Jay, thanks very much for all your support, as well as Garrison's uh, Brewery. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast Certified.